Welcome to the Highland Gospel Mission, a podcast to all nations. Each week, Pastor Keith will deliver a Holy Spirit-inspired message from Highland Southern Baptist Church to the rest of the world. If you have a Bible, we encourage you to read along and study the Word for deeper understanding. Now, here's Pastor Keith with this week's message. If you would get your Bibles open up to the Gospel according to John. The Gospel gospel according to John, chapter 14. Now we start this off, uh, when I start reading this in chapter 14, because we are going to actually start in chapter 14, uh, verse 1. We'll take a a look at these verses, a few verses at a time, but I want you to kind of see the pattern and the point that Jesus is, uh, is trying to make um through this passage of scripture now when you think about oneness and the word oneness is used a few times in scripture um and uh, the word oneness is actually used in the context of a marriage the two become one okay um and it's not talking about on a sexual level it's talking about on a microscopic level the individuals are basically weaving themselves together in life that's what oneness is oneness isn't two individuals saying we're the same oneness is two individuals who are the same okay so it's not it's not metaphorical the word oneness it literally means oneness in other words there is there is no partition or separation between the two in other words um god says that uh, as far as husband and wife goes um what God joins together, what? And the reason for that is, is because man is not the one that has the capability of sealing something up for eternity. God is. And the oneness in that, in that relationship is really not a lot different than the oneness in the relationship between Jesus and the Father. This relationship that he also pulls us into as well by saying he's in the father and the father is in him and then we are in him so we go from two with this word oneness to three in this word oneness to how far does that number go inside this church the number of people that are in it right now how many are here this is a problem with churches folks pay attention This is a problem with churches. Pay attention. Oneness is unity of the spirit. Unity of heart, soul, and spirit. That unity is the type of unity that helps people to all face the same direction and move to the same destinations. This oneness that Jesus had with the Father that he says that we have with him is a oneness that is shared amongst the organized church. And by organized, I don't mean man-organized. I mean instituted by God. Three institutions instituted by God. And, and one of the reasons I say nobody under the sun should have everything, anything in the world to say about it but God. The family, marriage, and government. He established those three. Nobody has any right to touch him. He established them the way that they're supposed to be. 
Why does he not call us churches? We started doing that, didn't we? But why is the word why is the word in the Bible always singular? It's oneness. It's, it's us all being about the same thing. Now, I'm going to grant you, there are some denominations out there that are telling people lies, but I'm also going to grant you, there's some Southern Baptist churches out there telling people lies too. Denomination means nothing anymore when it comes to biblical accuracy. It doesn't. You can walk into a Southern Baptist church anywhere in this county and get a completely different flavor. And then you can go one state south and walk in a Southern Baptist church and I guarantee you you're going to have a different experience. God didn't call us to be the churches. We are his people who he died for and brought us into this relationship for the purpose of us being in him a force to be reckoned with. And if you want to if you want to really stop a church from doing what it's supposed to do, you just eliminate that one word. Oneness. So you attack families. You attack finances. You attack health. You attack anything to try to fracture it because if you can fracture it, oneness is no longer there. Many people with many different directions and many different ideas and what's the result? Well, you're lucky if it doesn't resort to this group fighting that group because the other group's got something that the fourth group didn't have. I've lived it too many times in my life. Before I became a pastor, I was a part of a church that did not seem to be able to do anything but split. Oneness. What is it? Jesus is going to really get into it today for us. The Gospel according to John chapter 14, starting with, with verse 1. This gives us a little background to this. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Now Jesus has just set a precedence. <clears throat> and this precedence is for preparation for his departure. Now, these guys have been following Jesus around for about three years. Jesus has paid their taxes by pulling a coin out of a fish's mouth. He's fed 5,000 men, not counting the women and children, on five loaves and two fishes. He's protected them from the politicians. He's defended them against the religious right. He's provided for them. Now Jesus shows up one day and he says, hey, got to leave for a while. 
You just followed this guy three years of his life. And you saw people trying actively to plan to murder him. You've been next level persecuted for following him. And every time that something came up that could have hurt you, Jesus stepped in and fixed it. Now he says, by the way, I'm about to go somewhere. You can't come with me. What does that do to the person that has now come to depend on Jesus' words and Jesus' provision for food and Jesus' defense against the politicians and against the religious individuals? What about those individuals who just hated them because they seem to have abandoned Judaism? Those individuals who are going to hunt them now, they have no protection, they have no provider. What are they going to do? And Thomas was concerned enough You didn't even tell us where you're going. How are we supposed to be able to find you if you don't tell us where you're going? The nervousness sets in on these individuals. So Jesus begins to try to focus them a little bit. In verse 6, and I want to point this out before we move on. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Seems a little bit of an odd place to put such a scripture. He's just talking about he's going to prepare a place for them, trying to encourage them that he'll come back and get you so that where you're going to be, or where I am, you'll be there too. Made that promise. But then he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. How popular is that verse in the world today? Very popular amongst believers, amen? But how popular is it with a Buddhist? Or Hindu? Or a Muslim? Or a Jehovah's Witness? Or a Mormon? Because what Jesus just did was he told every one of his apostles, salvation is isolated to me. Period. Why would he say that? Because he knew that the instant that he went away, the instant that he departed, that Satan was going to attack. And he was going to begin to convince people. And I want to ask you a serious question. I bet he's convinced you at some point in your life. If you're a believer in Jesus, raise your hand. If you feel guilty about anything you've ever done in life, keep your hand up. But the Bible says grace is God's unmerited favor. It says once you trust in him, your sins are forgiven, forgotten. As far as the east is from the west, drowned in the sea of forgetfulness. In other words, when Jesus died on the cross, he took your sin to hell and shook it off. I say Hades. At that point in time, it was was a place of torment. He took it there and shook it off. So what you're feeling guilty about is burning. Can you tell me how ridiculous that sounds? So you know what the enemy did? He convinced you that there was another standard for salvation. And the only way that you will let yourself out of it, apart from Christ, and you being focused on it, is by you being able to figure out how to get out of it. Maybe you deserve it. Maybe you convinced yourself 
that you deserve to feel guilty for the rest of your life. Does that sound like something God would say? He's real, folks. And all he has to do is get in the way of you worrying about your provision, you worrying about your protection. If we worry about our provision and we worry about our protection, then guess who we don't have in focus? Because is there any such circumstance as no provision with the God that we serve? There is no limitations to who our God is. Where's the limitation on this planet rest when it comes to the limitations of the power of the Holy Spirit and of God himself? Where does the limitation rest? You know why God's not doing big things in my life? Because I'm restricting him. No, no, God. The yellow tape's up over there. Don't go over there. What's Jesus want? He wants us to be sure about what the source of salvation is, and he wants us to understand clearly what that salvation is. Please hear me. Sin is serious. We don't play it off as if it's nothing. Every individual should be turning attention towards the things the Holy Spirit convicts of us. Now hear me. Your emotions will play tricks on you. Do not, under any circumstances, accept the standards that are just thrown on you. God will never ask more of you than he is incapable of equipping you to handle. Do you hear me? I'll get it. Sometimes I, sometimes I just got to stop and look up and go, wow, God, you know I can handle a lot more than I can. Than I do. Because you kind of wonder where your limitations are. But what's the cost? What's the cost of not drilling that down in our lives? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If Jesus Christ, if he isn't the fundamental foundation of your life, then you have nothing. You have no reason to push. You have no passion to push. You'll never have a calling in your life. You'll never be happy. You'll never know true peace. Because that Jesus who said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father but through me, that source of salvation, that's the source of salvation that says that you can have peace that surpasses all understanding. And I like it broke down like this. The peace that surpasses all human comprehension. Came and comprehended. Peace from what? Your mistakes? Yes. Don't get too encouraged by that. You're going to make more. I promise you're going to make more. And Jesus created you. He knows you're going to make mistakes. Why do you think he made it his unmerited favor? It isn't, hey, you did pretty good today. Here's your good day ticket. That's not how this works. I want you to grasp this, folks. Jesus Christ loves us so much there is nothing that you could do to make him hate you while you're alive. 
but there's also nothing that you can do to make him love you more. Both of those things are completely filled up. I can assure you with all of the theological teaching that I've had in my life, with all of the biblical reading, with all of the deep dives in the scripture, I can promise you this. Jesus Christ is the source of salvation and it will cost you everything. Let me rephrase. It's free, but it'll cost you everything. Why? Because as much as oneness with the Father has its benefits, it also has its consequences. So let's read on what he says from this point forward. It says in verse 7, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How do you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go to the Father. Hold on. Do you know how huge that verse is? Jesus is saying that someone who figures out who he is will perform greater signs and miracles than he did. But he gave a reason. What was the reason? Because I go to the Father. It's my opinion. It's an educated one. What works he talking about? Baptism. Not the baptism of repentance. Not the one that John was offering. But the baptism representing salvation in Christ. I've had the privilege to do something that Jesus Christ never ever did and never ever will. I baptized somebody under his relationship. When I stand in that baptistry back there, I stand in the river at Washington State Park and I say, there is no greater privilege. I mean it to the core of my being. Why? Because that baptism symbolizes something brand new in an individual's life that's going to give them the ability to get over the hurts of the past. It's going to give them the ability to be equipped to handle the difficulties of the future. And I'm sorry. Sorry that church has done what church has done. Because this is a political mess. It's all caught up in everything in the world. It's hard to find a church that's not chasing money. To find one that's not chasing prestige and fame, a name to be heard across the country. 
what's happening to the churches that just love Jesus because he first loved us? Not to do anything for our own personal gain, our own personal benefit, or something to, to give us a list of, look what I did. But instead being so focused and interested on what Jesus Christ is doing. The point in these verses, up to 12, is Jesus actually saying, Philip, if you've, seen the, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father also. He's trying to begin to get Philip to understand this idea of oneness. Oneness means this, and I know that it's a concept difficult to grasp. Yes, you're absolutely right. The word Trinity is not in the Bible, but the concept is. Father, Son, and Spirit. Three persons, one Godhead. The concept is clear. How's that possible, preacher? Three persons and one Godhead? How's that possible? There's only one way it's possible. Perfect oneness. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit, they all want the same thing, think the same thing, and do the things that they need to in order for those th same things to come about. They do them in different forms, but all of their minds are connected. They're all working as three individual per persons, different persons working towards one purpose perfectly. That's the model he has for us. But the truth is this, folks. Everything the devil's doing in our lives is to distract us. It's a distraction. He wants you to feel guilty for past sins. He wants that. Why? Because it keeps you on your knees. It keeps you emotionally unstable. It keeps you right where he wants you so the next time he wants to tip you over on your head, he can do it and he can do it easily. And he will put plenty of people in your life to make that happen. But the Bible tells us we don't battle against flesh and blood. The prince and the power of the air of this world, for the time being, God has let him run the way he wants to run. And the truth is, as you look back through history, do you know what that created? It created the opportunity where we can take the words of Jesus Christ, you will know them by their fruits, and you can see who they are just by watching. If you're hurting, Jesus don't want you to hurt. If you're struggling emotionally, Jesus does not want you to struggle emotionally. If you can't forgive yourself, Jesus does not want you to continue to, to prevent yourself from doing that. I mean, let me put it to you this way, and I believe this to be true. If God comes up to me and he says, now you say you believe in me, so I've forgiven you of everything. And I grab anything out of that list of things you've forgiven me for, and I grab it out of his hands and pull it back to me and go, nope, what did I just do? I just made myself bigger than him. Because if God sets you free, let me make it biblically accurate. If the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. You know what the word indeed means? Everybody says, hey, we're supposed to take care of orphans, right? We're not supposed to just take care of orphans. Kids can be orphaned. According to the Bible and the Jews, the policies they had back then, if you're going to, if, if your kids have family, they have a place to go. If a husband passes away and he's got a widow and they've got kids, 
The church's responsibility is not to take care of the widow. It's the kid's responsibility to take care of the widow. But a widow indeed, and an orphan indeed, that was an individual who had nobody. That means there was no, there was no way around it. They were an orphan indeed, or a widow indeed, had no family around. They had to be taken care of by the church. And it's the church's responsibility to do so. That word indeed, when the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. It means the same thing. There's no way around it. If the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. I want you to let that soak in. Hear it one more time. If the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. And the instant that this invitation starts, if you're carrying something like that, don't worry about picking up your hymnal or reading the words that are on the screen. I want you to close your eyes and bow your head at that invitation time. And I want you to talk to God about whatever it is you're not forgiving yourself for. And I'll promise you that if you hear the word of God, you're going to feel a release like you've never felt before in your life. Because they'll take it from you. He's already taken it from you. All he's trying to do is get us as individuals to catch on to the fact that he's taken it from us. It's been nailed to Calvary. Carry it anymore. It's just distracting you. It's preventing you from serving to the extent that you would serve. It's preventing you from trusting to the extent that you would trust. It's preventing us from being in a relationship that's worth being in. But if this church is going to grow again and it's going to get back to where it's actually a force that's fighting against hell, we got to have oneness. That means we're all buying into these things. These things that we as a church pray about, these things that the Lord leads us to, oneness, folks, we have to get in this place. Because we do face a real adversary. And everyone who's in this place, whether you've seen him or not, you have seen his work. Look what he says in verse 13, starting with 13. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. What? Are there any... uh, I mean, there's a condition to this, but I mean, are there really a list of conditions to this? If you ask me anything, if you got a pencil or a pen, you might want to underline or circle my name, I will do it. Oneness provides unity between us and God. In other words, if I'm at one with, with Jesus, am I going to ask him for a million dollars? I'll be honest with you, and I haven't shared this with my wife, and I don't know if this is being recorded, so maybe somebody will see it. Do you know how bad I want to go to Israel? I want to go bad. I'm not going. 
because it didn't take too long after I prayed about this for God to tell me this. Why do you want to go? It would be awesome to be able to go where you stood. It would be awesome to be able to stand on the Mount of Olives, to be able to walk across the Kidron Valley, to stand on the beach of the Sea of Galilee, to stand in the ruins of Corinth where the church stood that Paul wrote one of his two of his letters to, potentially three. That would be cool, wouldn't it? And God goes, so you want to go for entertainment? Here's the next question he asked me. Is that your Jerusalem? Is that your Judea? Is that your Samaria? Which means, yeah, we support missions to there. If the Lord called me to go on a mission trip to there, I would go in a heartbeat. But I don't have any justifiable reason to say I'm going to spend $7,800 to get me and my wife across the ocean to be entertained. Would it be cool? Yeah, it'd be cool. Is it beneficial? It's not. It really isn't. And then I start thinking in my brain, just how many days you think you got left? To be honest, and to be completely honest, I'd rather somebody be saved than to take a trip to Israel. And I'm not saying those things can't go together. Of course they can. But Jesus knows that the reason that I would be going has no beneficial purpose to the kingdom. And if I take 10, 14 days, and I'm not criticizing anybody who does that, but if I take 10 to 14 days, what am I not doing here? Is the camp administration thing established by that point? I'm being offered jobs. Some of them are good ones. be great for my family to go work for Browning, amen? But it's 40 hours a week. When do I do the administrator's thing down at camp? When do I pastor a church? When do I make sure that my family's, be, my family's being emotionally supported? One good, several bads, right? God's plan or a temptation? Sounds like a temptation to me. Make more money than I even made as a pastor my entire life. A yearly salary. Health insurance included, 401k plan. It's a good deal, doesn't it? The question is, is it in lockstep with him? And if the answer is no, you don't let the money drive you. Because I don't care how much it pays you, it'll cost you way more than you ever get paid. Lockstep. When a marching band marches, 
it's important that they stay in step with one another. In order for them to do this, they have to take steps that are the same size. You see the taller people that are taking tiny steps and the shorter people that are taking the wider ones. But the timing has to stay right. If it doesn't, things fall out of play. We spend our lives constantly going in and out of a lockstep with Jesus. I'm not going to stand up here and pretend that I'm more righteous than I am, and don't anybody else sit in here and do it either. We're fallen human beings. We make mistakes. But the fact is, folks, every time that we find ourselves out of lockstep with Jesus, we're the ones that have to change our timing. Not him. And you don't want him to change his timing because otherwise then he's doing things your way. And I promise you that there is no better way for you to do them. Do, you, do the things you need to do than to do them in him. So don't expect him to go lockstep with you. You go lockstep with him. He'll take you places and show you things that I promise you will bring you peace. That I promise you will bring you passion. You just gotta let him get all of this fallen worldly stuff out of the way. He's already done it. Just trust it. Leave here today not only free, but as if you're someone that the sun set free. Free indeed. Amen. Thank you, Brother Keith. And for those listening on the podcast, I want to offer that same opportunity to you to come to the Lord. If you've never placed your trust in Jesus, now is the time to do so. By default, we are all sinners separated from God, and there's nothing we can do on our own to fix that. That's why God sent His only Son to live a life without having committed a single sin. He was put to death on a cross as a perfect sacrifice to atone for that sin. And to seal the deal, He came back from the dead three days later. If you truly believe that and ask Him into your heart, you will be saved. If you're already a believer and need some encouragement, or need to work things out in your life, spend these next few minutes in prayer, and I'll be praying for you as well.
Thanks again for listening. If you have questions about becoming a Christian, discipleship, or if you have prayer requests, you can visit us at facebook.com forward slash BC. Have a blessed week, and go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Highland Gospel Mission was produced by Zach Link, with preaching by Keith Perrin. Music provided by Pixabay under Creative Commons.